Broadcasting off my Pixel 3 with a Rode microphone. This is the Cambridge Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 57, Bart Ehrman versus the Burial Jesus. Welcome, everybody, to the Cambridge Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. And I, like you, am being quarantined. And fortunately, you were also quarantined with me. I feel a little bit like when I was a kid and I got grounded. And if all of my friends got grounded, it wasn't as bad if it was just me being grounded. Um, because that way I knew they weren't out having fun and I was at home being miserable. Um, but I am at home like everybody else. Um, and I am realizing while I'm at home that I am an outdoor cat and they are trying to make me an indoor cat. And so as an outdoor cat, I need to be out in the alleys, biting, scratching, cussing, cut, cutting, all that sort of stuff. And um, but there, but I, I realize that my my nails have been clipped. I'm drinking milk out of a off of a little saucer, and my uh, when my tuna fish comes to me off of the can, it's all uh, prepackaged. You don't have to fight for it. And so it's a little bit like uh, that Tiger King guy when the the, uh, the the tigers are eating the uh, bad meat from Walmart. I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be out in the prairie hunting, and instead I am uh, eating uh, bad meat from Walmart. And uh, but fortunately, everybody is kind of eating bad meat from Walmart, depending on what your personality is and how you're wired. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what the next year holds and what campuses are going to do in the fall and everything else. It's uh, really up in the air, but you know, have no control over it. So try to make the most of what we got. And so I've been studying and praying and taking a lot of walks and stuff like that, and uh, so, you know, whatever. But uh, today we're going to be discussing Bart Ehrman's book, uh, or at least part of Bart Ehrman's book, How Jesus Became God, and uh, the, the concept of the burial of Jesus. Because years ago, for the most part, honestly, I've been a Christian for 25 years, roughly, and during that time I've never heard anybody argue against the burial. I remember years ago coming across, uh, coming across John Dominic Crosson, I believe is how you pronounce that last name, and he said that Jesus wasn't buried and he was just fed to dogs or dogs came and ate him. And, you know, you just figured, ah, oh, the guy's being sensationalist and no one no one really believes that. But uh, what you realize is there are scholars who would want to argue that Jesus uh, was not, in fact, buried. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, today. We're going we're gonna to look at, uh, so Bart, uh, well, well, we'll get into it. But uh, before we get into that, uh, I do want to mention that we do have the Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, Network Conference coming up October 1st through the 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee, and I think it's going to be really, really good. Doug Wilson's going to be there. George Grant's going to be there. Toby's going to be preaching, teaching, um, and there are a couple other guys that I'm not sure are mentioned yet that they're trying to uh, bring on board, and uh, I really do think it's a it's going to be a great, great conference. So I look forward to getting there. That's October the 1st through the 3rd, and if you become a member of the Fight, Last Feast Network, and huge shout-out to Owen in Kansas. Um, if you become a member of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and before September the 1st, uh, you will get $100 off your registration. And registration, I believe, is $200. So basically 50% off, uh, get there for 100 bucks, And I think it will definitely be uh, worthwhile. And if nothing else, um, everything will be worthwhile, but if nothing else, there's going to be a beer and psalm sing. And last year's uh, Grace Agenda in Moscow, Idaho, that was probably my favorite part of the whole uh, agenda. Singing songs. Uh, we're in a we're in a basement of a of a bar, um, or I guess it was a barbecue restaurant. We're in the basement there, singing and uh, psalms and drinking some beers and everything else. And it was a great great time. So if you are free October the first through the third, that's definitely uh, something worthwhile. The fellowship, and then from there, hopefully break out and people can see the benefits 
of gathering together as the saints and singing. And uh, yeah, so if you go to FLF Network or CrossPolitik.com, if you mention Campus Preacher in the mix, uh, you help our show a little bit. So if you think about that, please head on over there and subscribe. And what else do we have going on? Oh, we also have an app that you may want to download. Who knows what the future holds with uh, free speech and free thought. And if people are using the app, um, they're not going to be able to deplatform us, say, like possibly taking some things off of Twitter, blocking something on Twitter, Facebook, or even as Christ Church experience, although not directed at them per se, uh, their, where their app was, was closed. And so ideally, uh, if we can get people into the app, that would be a very helpful uh, for us in growing our little... Uh, network here. And so what I want to discuss today is uh, the, the burial of Jesus. And I was going to do this in uh, one part, but I'm actually going to break it out into two parts because the histories, uh, getting into some strands of the history are a little more uh, complex and covering uh, the biblical uh, aspect of what Bart wanted to do. So basically, Bart Ehrman offers up two lines of criticism against the idea that Jesus was buried, properly buried, as laid out in the Gospels. And Bart does a pretty good job here, I think, apologetically. So if you're paying attention to what Bart's doing, um, and if you're into presuppositional apologetics, and you are familiar with kind of with the idea that uh, you know, uh, answer a fool according, don't answer a fool according to his folly, answer a fool according to his folly. So what Bart's trying to do here is saying, on terms of the way the biblical narrative is laid out, um, it's not a coherent story. So there's kind of an internal criticism that he's seeking to offer up against Christianity. And then the next step he wants to take is to step outside of Christianity and say, in the historical context, here's what would have been happened to a Jew who's crucified and he would not have been receiving a proper burial. And so that's kind of the angle uh, that Bart wants to go at. And so I was going to cover both those, but to try to keep this thing relatively brief, I'm going to just discuss the biblical angle first of all. So in getting into that, if you have your Bibles, you can open up Mark uh, chapter 14. Uh, nope, sorry about that. Uh, Mark chapter 15. And in Mark chapter 15, uh, it gets into the burial of Jesus, starting in verse 42. It says this, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died already, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought, bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that, he had, uh, that had not been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of uh, Josie, uh, saw where he was laid. And so what you... So he, what you have here, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of the council. Uh, and so in Bart's head, if you go back to Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And so he wants that language of all of them coming together. Uh, now the chief, in, in 55 as well, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And so Bart wants to basically say that, look, Joseph Arimathea, if the whole council and all the scribes and Pharisees and uh, council members were against Jesus, there is absolutely no reason that Joseph of Arimathea would have asked for the body of Jesus. And so he wants to say it's internal to the story of Mark is an internal contradiction or an internal inconsistency in the story. And the reason Mark had to invent this is in order to get to a resurrection story, you need a burial story. And so he wants to say that Mark is just making and 
their basic idea is that Mark's the earliest gospel and the other gospels borrowed from him. Um, and so Mark's just making this up. And he, they even, uh, it's kind of funny because he even ends up uh, appealing to a, a Bruce Metzger. And Bruce Metzger is uh, an evangelical. He might be kind of liberal on certain textual things, depending on where you're coming from. But he's an evangelical. He's a believer, loves the Lord. He wrote an article called uh, Naming the Nameless. And basically what he does is looks at church traditions. And so like when Jesus sends out the 72, we don't know what the name of those 72 are. Um, but later in church history, there are people who can tell you all 72 names. And so any place where there are ambiguities in a story like that, there are names in Christian traditions attached to those individuals. So the 72 individuals have names. Um, and so Metzger wrote an article about that, that over time names get developed. And so what Ehrman wants to argue is that Joseph of Arimathea, whatever happened to Jesus' body, nobody knew, um, but something had to happen to it, so they gave a name to it. And so Ehrman wants to suggest that Metzger's study is in line with what's going on with Joseph of Arimathea, but there, there are two responses quickly to that. First of all, the way Metzger makes his argument, if that's what's going on in the Gospels, you still have a burial story. And so this idea that he that you have to name the nameless, um, so, so if something happened in your life and, uh, you, know, you know, some guy down the street, and you're always telling the story of some guy down the street, and eventually someone tells the story, oh, well, Chuck from down the street. The reality of the guy down the street is still a reality. Whether his name was really Chuck or not is kind of the apocryphal addition of naming the nameless. But you still have the event of the guy down the street. So if uh, Ehrman wants to pick up on this idea and apply it to the burial of Jesus, there's still a burial that's taken place. You could say they made up the name Joseph Arimathea. That You can say that, but you still have the reality that that name is being attached to an historical event. And that's what Metzger's argument is. Metzger's argument isn't that people just make up names and make up stories, and that's what's taking place here, as Ehrman uh, kind of seems to suggest that he uh, wants to take it. Uh, but then secondly, and I think this is also very important to our thinking, is just when you think of the way you use language, and if you're already a Calvinist, uh, you kind of already know that all doesn't necessarily mean all. Uh, if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, does that mean I can fly? Well, no. Um, Paul's talking about being content whether he's rich or poor. Uh, he can, he, in all situations, um, he can do that. So the, the language of the whole council and everybody um, on, on several fronts, so again, on, on two fronts, would not mean that Joseph of Arimathea wouldn't have done this um, for two things. One, the way we use language, if I say all the Democrats, uh, or yeah, all the Democrats are against Trump, and yet we point to one or two instances where uh, the Democrats are pro-Trump, that wouldn't negate the nature of the way I'm using the language of all the Democrats or all the Republicans or uh, whatever it may be, all of Congress, whatever it may be. Um, it doesn't mean that there aren't exceptions to that. So in Mark chapter uh, 14, you want to talk about all and the whole, that wouldn't mean that um, there couldn't have been an exception like Joseph of Arimathea. But even if Joseph was part of those who were bringing accusations against Jesus, that would not negate his desire to keep the law, uh, notably Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22, where he uh, curses anyone who's hanging upon a tree, and it brings a curse upon the land if you uh, have that body up overnight. And so even as law-abiding Jews, who in their head, they would have been put into Jesus because he was a blasphemer and all that sort of stuff, um, even if they thought he was a wicked man, in their own context, they still would have wanted a proper burial uh, for Jesus, I believe. And so the idea that Joseph could have opposed him, uh, you know, say Thursday night and then Friday afternoon, he wants to give him a proper burial. I don't think that's uh, 
completely anachronistic. And so even if you think about in our own context, uh, when we killed Osama bin Laden, uh, we gave him, so we're told, a proper uh, Islamic burial. And so there might be some of us who think, oh, no, feed him to the dogs sort of thing. Uh, but what our government did or what they tell us they did is they gave him a proper burial. So even these SEALs go in, they kill him. Um, he's our enemy. And yet we, his enemy, still give him a proper burial. Now, that's obviously not a one-to-one correspondence with what's going on back there. But the idea that we can be in opposition to somebody and still give them a proper burial uh, we know what that's like. I'm sure the Jews would have known what that was like, especially if they care about Torah. And even Josephus gives some writings that uh, uh, you have a duty and obligation, basically that God has ordained good works. And one of those good works is giving people a proper burial. So the, historically in its context, just regarding the nature of the scripture and the narrative, I think Bart's really missing the point and really straining at gnats to find contradictions in the Bible or inconsistencies. Um, and then the other place he turns to uh, we're going to look at Luke briefly in Luke chapter um, 3. In Luke chapter 23, it, it also tells the same story of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council. Whenever, I don't know if I've been as bad, but whenever I read a name, uh, I'm always assuming I'm butchering it. Because early on, what was that? The, the, I can't remember. Jaquin, Jaquin Phoenix, whatever his name was. I was butchering his name. And I, 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 once a week, I get an email about messing up a name. Uh, he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision. Okay, so Luke uh, brings in the idea that he has not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud, laid him in a tomb, cut stone uh, where no one had ever been yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and on the Sabbath beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And then uh, Luke had also written uh, the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter uh, 13, Paul is speaking, and one of Ehrman's arguments here is that when it comes to the book of Acts, um, and I think I can essentially agree with this, that the book of Acts, that the speeches in the book of Acts are not necessarily a verbatim uh, quote of what, say, Paul preached or what Peter preached, uh, but rather it is Luke using sources and condensing speeches. So even if you take uh, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, you could probably read that in, what is it, a minute and a half? I'm sure he preached longer than a minute and a half, and I'm sure they condensed uh, that uh, sermon. Same thing with, say, the Sermon on the Mount and stuff like that. And so I agree with Bart Ehrman at this point that the speeches in the book of Acts are not um, necessarily the full speech. But one of the things that he wants to uh, find a problem with is that in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says this, um, this is verse 28. And though they found in him nothing worthy of, uh, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when, they, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And so that idea of they taking him down and they laying him in a tomb uh, being the whole council that the, the, what Ehrman wants is see the early traditions of what Paul's doing here is there was no specified man named Joseph of Arimathea, and that was a later addition. That kind of ties in a little bit with his Metzger argument. And he also wants to pull it into the 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, when it says, I pass unto you that which the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried. He was raised up on the third day according to scriptures. So that idea that he was buried, 
uh, Ehrman wants to make a big deal that says he was buried by Joseph Arimathea. And since there was no name there, what he wants to say is that the early burial traditions, one, they don't know it was in a tomb, two, it uh, wasn't attached to a person, and he appeals to Paul here in Acts chapter 13. But if you even think of, again, Luke writing, he writes volume one, and he tells us about Joseph Arimathea. He gives us volume two, which is the book of Acts, as he's writing Theopolis. Um, I, I think if you are like me, and you're writing stories and you're pulling together two strands of testimonies and they contradict each other and you're trying to tell a consistent story one i'd give luke the benefit of the doubt that he was in that, that you know that he was in fact a consistent storyteller and so his story from luke going to acts would have been consistent but again goes back to the way we use language uh if we say they referring to the democrats or another point we're referring to nancy pelosi or we're referring to donald trump and the republicans um we can kind of go back and forth in our language of plural and singular uh, without any inherent contradiction. And even John's gospel brings in the idea that Nicodemus was with Joseph as well. So just, you know, one of the hard parts in reading Ehrman where he's frustrated, and there are things he does really well. There are other things where he is just a fundamentalist. Like he was a Christian fundamentalist, and he was very, you know, the text has to be what the text says. If it doesn't say that, God's word says it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, and there's almost like no ability to actually read the text as literature or read the text in a way that we normally speak. And so if you tell someone, hey, I'll be there in a minute, and, you know, you're across town, you're talking on the phone, you say, hey, I'll be there in a minute, you're there 10 minutes later, they're not usually like, wait, you said you'd be here in a minute. Now, if you're an hour later, that's a different ball game. And so the way you use language, if you want to be a stickler, the guy who shows up, you know, a minute and 30 seconds after he says he's going to be a minute, uh, you can get on him if you want. Uh, but you know, well, that's not how we use language. You know that we use it in a, in a way that's a little bit elastic. We do that with plurals. We do that with singulars. We do that whether referring to the United States, you know, corporately or particular individuals within it. So anyway, uh, when you read something like this from Bart Ehrman and you listen to the critics, I, I would say this internal argument that there was no early traditions going back to who actually buried Jesus, um, I would say it was uh, you know, obviously, the the idea of the creed that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 was very early. Paul was probably converted three years after uh, the death of Jesus, two or three years. Uh, some people even want to push it closer to that. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, is referring to that creed, says, I deliver to you that which I also received. And so this, the idea there in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Paul was receiving a traditional um, kind of creedal statement. So when I was 12 years old, I had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And you know, if I go out and I share that with somebody else, I say, I pass on to you that which I also received. And so I received the Apostles' Creed, I give it to somebody else. And so that Creed in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's saying, I pass on you that which I also received. And so if Paul was converted within, say, two or three years of the death of Jesus, that creed is a very early statement. It's not a much later uh, date thing. So anyway, uh, that's part one of looking at his uh, burial. Uh, internal to the Bible, I would say we have an argument for what Bart wants to be Bible contradictions in an incoherent story for uh, the burial of Jesus. I think it's a pretty straightforward on the way we use language. It all uh, makes a lot of sense. And then next week what we're going to look at is whether or not the burial of Jesus in the context of the Roman Empire makes sense after they crucified a criminal or would they have just left a criminal up there to be, you know, plucked by the birds or fed to the dogs, which is a very real possibility. And there's plenty of historical accounts verifying that. Um, but we'll look at that next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Campus Preacher. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to email me, Keith at campuspreacher.com or Campus Evangel on the Twitter, Campus Preacher on the Instagram, and Keith there on the Facebook. Uh, Lord bless you. Keep talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. 
Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow 